comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 49. This episode of the PKD Black Box is brought to you by Back in the Day, the original graphic novel from indie comic book mavericks Dave DeWanch and Daniel Logan. Back in the Day is a heartfelt and hilarious sci-fi romp that redefines the coming-of-age tale and asks the question, what would you do for love? Signed, numbered, and limited to 500 copies, this 64-page graphic novel is 20% off at dcbservice.com and includes a free limited edition print signed by Back in the Day artist Daniel Logan. Order your copy today at dcbservice.com. You can also go to actionlabcomics.com for additional details. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This episode, we have a special conversation with Daniel O'Brien and Bill Ellis, the co-creators of the webcomic All New Issues, which can be found at www.allnewissuescomic.com. And then after that, we have a, I have a one-on-one conversation with artist, creator Harold Jennett we, as we talk about Geek Syndicate, the comic, which can be found at geeksyndicatecomic.com. And we also talk about his new book, Geek Syndicate Year One, which is now available for pre-order at dcbservice.com and can also be purchased at indieplanet.com. So I hope you enjoy these conversations and I hope that you enjoy the episode. But before we get to our feature presentation... It's with great sadness, and I know many of you have probably already heard of this before even listening to this podcast, that uh, Dwayne McDuffie, the co-founder of Milestone Media, which gave us such comic books as Hardware, Static Icon, Shadow Cabinet, uh, Blood Syndicate, writer for Marvel and DC Comics, working on books like Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Justice League of America, Batman, Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, you know, animation being a television writer, a story editor, a producer for animated series like Ben 10 Alien Force, Ben 10 Ultimate Alien, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, uh, Static Shock, What's New Scooby-Doo, uh, the screen, you know, writing screenplays for All-Star Superman, uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths for DC Universe animated original movies, plus an additional film. Uh, I mean, additional uh, film he's already written as well, additional animated film, I should say, um, has passed away at the age of 49 due to complications after undergoing emergency heart surgery at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank. You know, I know a lot of his colleagues, you know, many of his colleagues and, and family are, you know, beyond saddened and, you know, and bye-bye all this. And, and I am, you know, and I am as well. Um, Dwayne McDuffie is a very, is a very big influence on me. You know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to make comics, why I wanted to get into comics and learn the game, all the ins and outs and, you know, all the hard work and, and stuff you got to go through just to make it. And I learned a lot of that from him. You know, I learned, you know, how to carry myself from him, from listening to his interviews, from, you know, from listening to his interviews, from, you know, reading his columns, going to his website, reading, you know, his articles, his take on the industry. You know, it just really meant a lot to me that this man who does all, you know, did all this work, you know, busted his butt day in and day out 
would still take out time for fans and not only fans, but just for people in general and explain the game and was honest about it. His voice was a voice that the comics game needed. And I think it needed more of. And it's sad that he's gone. And like also for me, like it's sad for me because it's like, you know, this is, you know, this is a, you know, a brother that was in the game that's no longer in the game. And there's not a lot of black people in comics, period. And I'm not talking about in the pages that you, that you leaf through when you read. I'm talking about black people in the comic book industry and in the animation industry. There's not a lot of us in it. You know, when he made it and then like, you know, hopped into the animation game and like, you know, just did so many wonderful things with that. That just really inspired me. That really inspired me even more and made me realize that as much as I love comics, there's more <clears throat> there's more than just com- just saying I love comics. Like I said, you got to work for it. I won't you know, I won't forget about him talking about the rule of three. I won't forget about him talking about the difficulties of just getting a toy for static. You know, Static was one of the most popular cartoons. <clears throat> excuse me. It was one of the most popular cartoons in the history of Kids WB. And it was also um, a highly rated cartoon during the Cartoon Network replays. Never got a toy. And I saw a post that he made on his forum back on February 19th, I think, saying that after 180 figures, Static was finally going to get his own action figure in the Justice League Unlimited line. And it was the uh, the older Static from um from a justice league uh from a justice league episode and he's finally going to get his own action figure because before that the only thing he ever had was like a tv toy tie-in with uh subway so it wasn't even really a real toy it was just like a little piece of plastic but it wasn't a, an action figure per se i know his family will miss him his colleagues will miss him i'm sure gonna miss him this is one of the guys i just wanted to walk up to him had, you know, shake his hand and just tell him thank you. And I can't do that now. And I know a lot of other people that probably want to do that can't do that now. But the man was gifted. He was extremely talented. He would definitely be missed in the comics game. He would definitely be missed in the animation game. You know, I'm sorry if my if my words right now aren't the most coherent aren't the most coherent at this time. It's just that I'm just really taken aback by this. I really am. But the industry itself, both the comics industry and, and animation industry, has truly lost a true talent man laid down foundations especially on the animated front period because you because you can't tell me this man translated two grant morrison works with, with justice league crisis on two earths and also and all-star superman translated them for for a um, for a mainstream audience and those cartoons are excellent first book i ever got Dwayne mcduffie's was damage control and Damage Control, still to this day, I, when it came out, well, when Damage Control came out back, you know, way back when, it was ahead of its time. And I don't think a lot of people got it. But that was original. It was funny. It was creative. And the writing was on point. And he never wrote down to anybody. No matter what he wrote, he never wrote down to, to anybody. And, and I'm not saying that every single comic he wrote was gold. Because no writer has gold from beginning to end. But he always put in work. You can't say that for everybody that's in the comics game or in the animation game that they always put in work. Because a lot of cats that are in there half-ass it. But he put in work. Now, I wish more people put in work. But I tell you what, I'm going to keep putting in work. Because Dwayne McDuffie taught me that if you want to make comics and if you want to make it in this game, you've got to put in work. You've got to have that hustle. you got to have that appreciation. 
So rest in peace, sir. In other news, uh, actor Nicholas Courtney, who played the Brigadier on Doctor Who, um, died at the age of 81 after a long battle with cancer. Now, for those that don't know about the Brigadier, and I've talked about the Brigadier probably all this month on the on the PKD Black Box um, while talking about Doctor Who with the ladies. The Brigadier, I'll put it to you like this. If you watch the uh, John Pertwee Doctor Who episodes where the Brigadier shows up, it's kind of like you could say, he's not just a sidekick. It's like, if Doctor Who was puffy, Brigadier was mace. Always by his side, ready to roll. And I'm, I'm not, and I'm not talking about new Mace, and you know, like after Bad Boy Mace. I'm talking about, like, you know, Puff Daddy and the Family. You know, uh, No Way Out Mace. <laughs> but the Brigadier was always by the Doctor's side. Always had his back. Always had his, always had his gat or his piece ready to roll, ready to, ready to shoot a Cyberman with a gun, even though he knew good and well that wasn't going to work. And um, Nicholas Courtney was a really good actor. And he could always stand toe-for-toe toe with any doctor, whether it be Pertwee, Patrick Troughton, uh, Tom Baker. Didn't matter. He always was able to hold his ground acting-wise with these cats. And, you know, it's sad that, you know, he's passed, that he's passed away. But, um, but yeah. But, no, the Brigadier is my homeboy. But, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, so... Uh, rest in peace to Nicholas Courtney, and thank you for for what you have contributed to pop culture as well. And now, our feature presentation. I have on the line right now the creative team of the webcomic All New Issues. You can find uh, All New Issues at allnewissuescomic.com. On the line right now is creator Bill Ellis, who lives in New Jersey, where when he's not mired in nine to five hell, he's trying to be a writer slash cartoonist. He is deeply indebted to his girlfriend, Danny, for all of her help and support with his artwork. Bill, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Sean? Oh, doing fantastic. Also on the line, the other half, the, the peanut butter to the jelly of all new issues, Danny O'Brien. Uh, Danny O'Brien, short for Danielle, also lives in New Jersey working as a graphic designer. This is the first time she's ever written anything, so please be kind. She's also a huge geek and probably has a better comic collection than you. Danny, how you doing? I'm doing good. Excellent. Okay. So we got this webcomic, we got all new issues, art by Bill, words by Danny. Can y'all tell me what all new issues is about for the people? Oh, that's a really good issue. I mean, a really good question, because we're still kind of a, we're trying to figure out that perfect marketing pitch renter convention about it, and we haven't really fine-tuned it yet. But what have you been saying, sweetie? It's a comic uh, about... About people who work in a comic book store and are poor and have crappy relationships with each other. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> oh, that works for me. For me, you have a eclectic uh, cast of characters in this in this uh, series of all new issues. The head being Jason, who's the owner of the Silver Rage comic shop. The naive 
somewhat gullible, somewhat of a slacker, employee of a Silver Rage comic shop, Todd. Jason's friend Robin, who's laid off and now is a cat owner, um, well, up to the up to the period where I've read in the in the fifties. And uh, there's Gavin, a customer of the shop, who's also best friends with Todd. And then there's also Desiree, who's Todd's ex girlfriend, but has a crush on Gavin. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that is that is exactly it. Okay. Yeah. Now, where did the where did the two of you come up with all these eclectic characters uh, for the series? Well, actually, um, Bill can take that because these characters are actually um, characters that he used before in an old webcomic called Silver Rage. Which yeah, is, which is where the name of the comic book store comes from, and uh, uh, that was a that was a web comic that I did that you know failed miserably because <laughs> I didn't draw it or write it, so mostly my fault. Yeah, um, but uh, I really wanted to you know keep using these characters, and I would get the itch every so often to try to get back into web comics, but I was always too uh, busy. And um, and finally, it was just too much to take. Uh, we were down in West Virginia on a vacation, and I said, well, I'm, you know, when I leave here, uh, I'm going to be making a new comic. And and that was the point of sort of going down and relaxing and, and figuring out what that comic was and really just wanted to revisit these characters from that old, uh, that old series. Yeah, pretty much uh, when the... Th- when Silver Age first started, the three characters were based on each of us and a friend of ours. Uh, I was Robin. Bill was definitely Todd at that time. And then our other friend was Jason. And now that we're redoing it again, Todd is pretty much based on Bill when he was in much younger, just very naive and young and innocent and a total slacker. And Jason's kind of, I'd say, based on a more surly, angry Bill, and Robin is totally me. <laughs> Absolutely me. Oh. And then Gavin is actually based on uh, Bill's best friend, Mike, who is actually an indie wrestler. He used to wrestle by the name uh, GQ Gavin Quest. So that's why the wrestler's name is Gavin. GQ Gavin Quest. Now, did, yeah. he, did he come to the ring looking all fancy? I think he used to back in the day, but then he decided to change it to Mike Quest because his name is Mike. Oh, okay. okay. Sometimes you have to change up the gimmick a little bit in order to keep keep the character fresh. Exactly. So, yeah. understandable, understandable. A couple of things I've actually enjoyed about reading all new issues, especially after rereading some of the strips again. On the artwork side, um, you have that constant progression of art, but like there's this mixture of certain styles of art within the strip within the strip that I just really enjoy. Like for example, sometimes when I look at certain characters, like say for instance, uh, say for instance Desiree, Desiree sometimes has that vibe of an older character from like say for instance Family Circus. If like a Family Circus like grew up and those main characters like grew up, they have that. Some of the characters have that type of look. Um, other characters have. Um, you know, I also have original qualities and feels as well, but there's something about the artwork that always makes me happy when I look at it. Um, say, for instance, like little things, like when um, is is it a uh, Celine the cat or Selena? Selena? Thank you, Selena. Selena. Think, think Catwoman. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when Selena is sleeping in the comic book store and she's like in her like little bed and she's sleeping, and you look up and there's like a picture of a, like a saw, you know, sawing a log. That type of stuff is adorable. 
and you know, and I and I love those things in comics, and it's it's one of those things you don't really get too much in comic books, but some people in comic strips will still do things like that. Now, and to me, that's clever, and it's also it's just nice to see, and it's very refreshing. Well, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that really means a lot. That sort of thing, uh, you know, it comes from like my first love, which was comic strips, and then as I got older, I got into the comic books. You know, I got a box of them from my parents and they got it from someone and you know, they didn't really know the difference, but, um, but I, I loved, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. I loved peanuts when I was young. I loved far side and that's sort of where that comes from. I mean, the log getting sawed, that is a, you know, direct descendant of Calvin and Hobbes. If I'm going to have a cat sleeping in a window, then it's, you know, it's it's going to be Hobbes-ish. <laughs> Yo, this is Queen Latifah bringing a song to you about a place you might live. In case you don't understand, it's called New Jackson. My next question would be for Danny. Um, okay. Now, Danny, now you now this is the first uh, co- comic strip series that you've ever written. Yes. Now, in, in doing in doing this, um, what steps did you take to prepare yourself for writing a uh, a web comic? Um, being completely terrified. Uh, that was the first step. You know, I don't know. I was kind of just thrown into it when he first decided I'm going to bring it back. I was like, okay, that's great, that's awesome. I really want to see you do this, and we would constantly brainstorm together. And next thing you know, I'm starting to kind of write the strips or plot them out. And then he would write the dialogue. And then finally, he was just like, just write the damn strip. And I was like, okay, you say so. <laughs> so I was reading Danielle Corsetto's strip, Girls with Slingshots, a lot to kind of like get the whole character dialogue feel. And for Christmas, we got the Calvin and Hobbes, Big Giant Treasury of Doom. And I've been reading that, just trying to kind of get the pacing and understand how to get like that three panel beat and then like the fourth beat and also watching a lot of TV, like weird enough. Like if you watch certain comedies, you can kind of start understanding the comedy timing and that works a lot. And, and Twitter, Oh my goodness. Twitter helps so much because you can only use 140 characters. So you really have to start like lessening what you write which makes it so much easier to do the comic strip. And I think Bill appreciates that more because I used to write a ton of dialogue and it would drive him crazy. <laughs> she, she never puts more than 140 characters in a, in a panel now. It's, it's great. Nice. <laughs> that, that, that definitely uh, makes for smaller word bubbles, that's for sure. It oh, yes. really does. It's amazing. Like If you go over oh, the character and you're like, oh, crap, well, what can I get rid of? And then you realize that you're you're tightening up your sentence structure and it really does help with your writing. It's sort of amazing like that. The PKD Black Box is experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Yes, uh, Skype is being quite the bitch goddess this evening. But no. yeah. but, the, but that's okay. It, it will it will not damage or destroy this interview. So no. uh, we, we, we will get through and we will get by. 
Now, like I know when it, when it comes to writing comics, whether it be comic books, web comics, you, you know, we, we all learn something new every single day. We never say I got it. And then that's the process and we're done. We learn something every single day. And it's something that I'm really trying to get a hold of too, um, as far as dialogue, making dialogue effective, but at the same time, not having it be so wordy that it takes over from the artwork itself. Yeah, that's a really hard thing to do, but it I guess it works really well since uh, me and Bill live together. So when he starts drawing a strip and he writes out all the words first, he goes, um, yeah, sweetie, that's too much. We need to change that. And I guess that helps a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. See, well, it's nice to be able to have that, you know, have a team that's basically side by side. You know, oh, yeah. Constant evolution of the Internet has helped people create a ton of comics and, you know, viral, viral material that, you know, was not, you know, that we were not capable of in the 80s and early 90s uh, for sure. But um, even that still deals with distance in itself. You know, yes, we're using we're using, you know, lines, to, lines of communication to send stuff across. But to have somebody with you face to face to get things done is still more effective, you know, even in today's internet era, where we have some great comics still being face to face and side by side is definitely a plus. There, there really is a, a difference because like I can go into studio and see what he's doing and just be like, Oh my God, that looks so awesome. Like, I can't believe you're drawing what I put on paper. And, and then I get so excited by it that I think it fuels me to want to do better because I'm like, I need to live up to how good that art is. And to see it being created from like pencils to inks to color, it's just, it's this great process. Likewise, that attitude is with the, you know, Danny has, it, it's always sort of pushing me to go a little bit more with the panels to, to, you know, to, keep the artwork that is going with her words and her descriptions of the panel at that level and to be able to have these characters, you know, be natural looking and, and, you know, they're having a conversation, they're talking, they're real people. And I have to make them look like real people because she's written them like real people. With with some of the characters in all new issues, like particularly particularly Robin, Robin's character, as we all know, uh, for those that have read it, is out of a job, and she is in a state where she's really trying to find herself during this period of time, and she gets a cat who ends and she ends up loaning the cat to the comic book store because it it brings customers in. I granted no sales, but it brings in customers, um, so it's a start, but. She's really trying to find some form of direction. I, I there was a strip. I think I want to say a strip uh, sixty one. It was called Voice Fail, where she's got all these just voice messages coming in, and she just want, you. You have the feeling that she wants to be left alone, but at the same time, she wants contact, but she wants to be left alone. But because she doesn't know where her life is going, she just feels blah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, that the laid off storyline is completely based on me being laid off. I was a designer do it for a magazine for about almost a year. And then I got laid off for about a year and it was just the worst year. Like you just, you're sad and depressed and you sit on the couch and you do nothing and you want to be around people, but you don't want to be around people. It's just, it's so hard. And like that, she's that storyline completely based on me and just those experiences. And I mean, I think a lot of people nowadays really understand and feel that right now because of the way the economy is with characters like Jason and uh, Jason and Todd 
especially especially Jason. Jason is so surly, but at the same time, I can't help but like Jason because he tries. You know, he's a realist, but sometimes he'll take it too far. But I think like the the one cool thing about Jason I love the most, and and Bill is good for this. He does what I call the dump the uh, dumb dumb Dugan trick, where the cigar is hanging from his mouth, but yet he's still talking. <laughs> That oh, is the, that is so freaking cool. I love I love I love when artists do stuff like that. It's classic. Well, the cigarette is is it's practically one of his facial features. You know, if he has it, then it's flying around while he's yelling or cussing or doing something. It's it's just as expressive, uh, you know, or it's a good tool. It's as express. It can be used as expressively, like as his eyes or his eyebrows or you know any other feature on his face. I, I think it's just very important to to use all of that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it, it come. We come from a time where, because I'm not 100 percent sure how old uh, y- you know y'all are, but I know like I'm in my mid 30s, and I come from an age of comedy was not only physical, but comedy was also very facial, and there are a lot of facial. Ex- there's a lot of facial expression. In comedy, you had Bill Cosby, you had Carol Burnett, you had uh, like old, old school, like uh, I Love Lucy stuff, because that stuff was plastered everywhere on television when I was a kid in syndication. So you had, there were a lot of, there were a lot of comedians and a lot of actors and actresses that use a lot of facial expression. When I look at a a lot of webcomics, I don't see facial expression from from some of them some i do but a lot i don't i mean i'll see like beautiful art great landscapes but the characters carry no emotion and if your characters don't carry emotion why would i want to be interested in in the comic you know what i mean absolutely yeah i mean well yeah bill has this his pencils are just so it's animated like sometimes I, i feel so bad that i get to see the pencils and then he inks over it and sometimes I feel like sometimes something might get lost, but his pencils are just so energetic and amazing that he just creates all these gestures that are, it's insanely good, but you know, I'm a little biased. <laughs> That's all. I'm, I'm a little red faced right now. Oh, <laughs> it's because you're drinking beer. It's the Dreamweaver, Yeah. Oh, what, what kind of beer is that? I got a Trog's Dreamweaver. You know, I just picked it up the other day, and I wanted to give it a try, and it's it's quite good actually. Now, is that a light beer or a uh, or it's it's a it's a wheat beer it's that wheat has beer. yeah like a bunch of spices and stuff in it. Ah, okay, okay. It's really good. That kind that kind of sounds um, a touch familiar to well, not completely familiar to uh, Samuel Adams Winter Lager. The only difference is I don't think the Adams Winter Lager has any wheat, but it's uh, got a few spices like some ginger, some orange zest, orange zest, a little bit of cinnamon. Um, oh, it's very good stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's real good. Um, my wife brought it home one day, and I said that was a bad idea. <laughs> bad bad it's- idea. It's it's darker than this. This is this is yeah. It, you know, it is lighter, like uh, more like the cherry wheat, but with that spicy quality. It's it, it's good stuff. Now, in the midst of creating uh, web comics and web comic material, uh, has there ever been a time where you've been in a state where? You feel that like, you know, you're in a creative rut and what is it like? Are there any tricks that that the two of you have when you're out, when you're in a rut to get out of that rut? Well, I asked Danny to write the comic. (laughs) (laughs) And I I write it sometimes or sometimes I have a nervous breakdown and 
cry going, I can't do this. I suck. And, you know, it's it's awful. But we usually we, we talk it out. There's a lot of talking and arguing and talking <laughs> and yelling and arguing and then talking again. <laughs> Our creative process consists uh, of 90% bickering. Yes. And, and then 10% just raw creative. <laughs> but that's see but that's cool though. See that's like like you know I wonder like back in the day if like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were in the office together, you know, arguing about what was going to happen in Fantastic 4. And like, you know, Kirby's like, "No, you son of a bitch. We're going to use Galactus, damn it." And Stan's like, "We're not using Galactus this week and and all this stuff." And I'm saying that like, you know, y'all call each other son of a bitch and things like that. I was just making a poor example. But <laughs> um just makes me wonder like, you know, the creative process is so different for everybody and I know like when I get in a rut um, cause sometimes, you know, we carry a lot of buckets and we, you know, we do a lot when we get in that rut, it's sometimes real difficult for me to break out of it, out of it, especially on a, um, on a writing, on a, on a writing standpoint. I, I know I've hit this phase where I can plot a book like nobody's business, but because of like all the hats I wear, when I, when I go to write, when I go to write, sometimes I have to literally get away from absolutely everything possible and i mean everything it's like i have to find a cave where nobody can find me and i can get no cell reception in order to clear my head to begin writing again plotting is no long is no longer an issue i could plot plot books for years but writing so i can but on the consistent tip of writing and making sure that i understand my character's motivations and means that's something that is always going to be a continued challenge for me as long as i wear a lot of hats so with the two of you as a team together you know it's it's a really good fit because if if one person is like having a rough day or if another or if one side's having a rough day and the other side is or isn't there's still a way for things to be done when all is when all, when all is said and done yeah definitely i mean there are times where he's having a really hard time drawing and it's just like okay step back take a deep breath go outside and then you'll come inside and it'll be awesome like you just need to calm down and then i'm sure there are times where i'm freaking out saying i can't do this and he's like it's okay it's okay. You can do this. Let's just, you know, figure it out and kind of go from there. Oh yeah, definitely. But you also have that, um, that sort of cave thing where you have to, uh, you do have to like sit there with the TV off and you just sit in the living room for a couple hours and, and, and then the strip comes out because you, you sort of get the idea together and then pick over every word and, and make it perfect and make it conversational. Yeah, that I definitely have to do. Like I can't, it has to be silent. I can't talk. Like he'll come in and I'm like, I just hold up my hand and like, no, get leave. I'm, I'm working. Stop. And then he just walks out and he knows that he just can't talk to me right now. Yes. And, and there are also times where if a strip isn't up, sometimes a picture or, or a piece of artwork will be on the website. And a perfect example was a, uh, a, a piece of art that was posted on December 21st of 2010, where <laughs> there's a kid. A, a creepy kid in a gas mask. Oh, and, oh the... <laughs> and the kid says, are you my mummy? And, and on the side, it's handwritten. It says, my brain is fried. Here's a picture of a creepy kid. And then in captions, it's the gas mask. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is that is Doctor Who's The Empty Child uh, from that from the first season of the revamp of Doctor Who, which uh, of which we are both huge fans. And I end up doing like, I just, you know, I'm draw, just drawing Doctor Who sketches to like loosen up and 
and I end up doing a bunch for uh, cons too because then people see them and, and Doctor Who mania is, is rampant over here right now and, yes. and so I, I had that and I just had to throw that up because everybody loves that episode yeah it is the greatest but creepiest episode ever because it's a little kid literally he has a gas mask attached to his face and he's going around going are you my mommy mommy are you my mommy? And it's terrifying. You're like, oh, make the kid go away. That but it's is, such a good episode. That is creepy. See, I'm I'm like, um, you know, very very behind on all my Doctor Who. And what you know, what's funny? What's funny about uh, this month of podcasting, where we're featuring featuring women in pop culture and geek culture and things like that, every single recording Doctor Who has been mentioned. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Every single recording, Doctor Who has been mentioned. And it never really struck me because, like, you know, the way pop culture and, and geekery and geek culture and stuff goes, you know, for, like, a lot of people, the way it's presented, it's always presented as, as like, a boy's thing or a men's thing. And very few, uh, not enough sites or places view pop culture and geekery as a thing for everyone when talking and when talking to uh, the princess cast when talking to uh, jessica mills um, when talking to Lori thomas and now you know talking with y'all and bill i know you're not a lady but like i said <laughs> peanut butter and jelly baby peanut butter and jelly. He, can be, he can be an honorary girl for this time <laughs> and um and, <laughs> and because but because of all this I've, you know, I've heard Doctor Who mentioned every single time. And so to, to me, it's like, it's not that it's weird. I think it's fantastic. And there's like something that we can all relate to. I think it's definitely got that uh, female appeal, too, because what you have on one hand, you know, it's sci-fi, but it's this sort of... It's quirky. It's quirky. It's quirky. It's feel-good sci-fi. It's sci-fi with, with two hearts, and, uh, and and then on the other hand, David Tennant is a sexy bastard. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Love him. Yeah. I, I got a little man crush. He's my boyfriend. He's my TV boyfriend. He just doesn't know it. <laughs> See, I love him so much. <laughs> See, this is what cracks me up. See, now, now I don't know if, if dudes are allowed to have these, but like with women, women can have a TV boyfriend, a movie boyfriend, and another, you know, side boyfriend. Now, granted, all these, you know, don't exist, but it's it's okay to say it. Are men allowed to have these? I need to. Oh, need absolutely. To okay. Okay. He totally, like, he's allowed to have as many, you know, girl crushes as he wants because if I'm presented with the opportunity to uh, act out this <laughs> fantasy, then he should be able to. Okay. I think it's only fair. Okay, no problem. I, I just see I, I need verification of this from a woman because if I don't get this verification, then I, you know I don't want to be that jerk. Okay. No, okay. absolutely. It's only fair. If we're allowed to have fake boyfriends, you're allowed to have fake girlfriends. Okay, cool. I would like to uh, nominate uh, Holly Marie Combs from Charmed. Um, she was my favorite one. I, I blame huh? I blame my wife. I blame my wife for Charmed because uh, when we first met, I think it was like our second or third date. Um, like uh, we were back at her house and we had just gotten, we just got back from dinner and she was like, hurry up, hurry up. Charmed is on. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> and she was and she's like, Charmed is on. And she, you know, she gave me the backstory on Charmed. She's like, well, I didn't really watch it until they brought Rose McGowan on because, um, oh, what's her face? Uh, they used to be on. No, it was, um, uh, uh, Shannon Doherty. Yes. She was like the Shannon, Shannon Doherty's character just really annoyed her. But when, when Rose McGowan came on, she started watching the show and she really got a kick out of it. And then that made her watch the pre, you know, the older episodes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll watch it with you. And, and somehow I just kind of got hooked and I don't know how it happened. 
And so, but like Holly Marie Combs, yes, that's she's on my list. I, I can I can now have a list, and she is one of the first on the list. So there you go. Yeah, I got addicted to that show when I was unemployed. It was on TNT. It was the back to pack of Law and Order and Charmed. I'd sleep until two, wake up, watch some Law and Order, and then watch Charmed, and then watch Law and Order. <laughs> That is that is directly where the one uh, the one strip with Robin comes from was the you know TNT is just the balm of the unemployed yes and, yeah. and you can just sit there and watch uh, the Law and Order and Charmed and whatever the heck else they have on I was watching random episodes of Angel and I didn't even care <laughs> that's because you didn't understand the awesomeness of Josh Whedon at that point yes but I also have. I just couldn't turn off TNT yeah. I had to teach you about the ways of Joss Whedon. <laughs> it, it, it takes it takes a while, see, because I, my best friend, you know, told me about Buffy, and I started watching Buffy, and then like toward the end, I tailed, you know, I tailed off from it, and then years later, when I meet, you know, the woman who would eventually be my wife, lo and behold, she's like one of the biggest Buffy fans ever. <laughs> so she has like all the box sets, and she's like, well, you know, you need to catch up. Come on, let's watch. And so, and so like now I'm, you know, I'm hip on it. So. That's how it happened to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, it's pretty much, I'm like, okay, we're dating. Well, you have to watch this, 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 and this. So we watched Buffy. We watched Angel. We're slowly getting through Battlestar Galactica because he's never seen it. Mm. Don't feel bad. I haven't watched it all either. <laughs> <laughs> we just it's, finished it's, the third yeah, season. Good. We just haven't watched the fourth season because like it opens up with a movie. And then we saw that Lie to Me, the third season was in, season was on hulu plus and we're like well we're gonna watch that instead there you go (laughs) no that's cool i'm i'm always behind on certain like on certain tv shows and whatnot and some shows i'm just seasons behind so you know i'll say one day when life is calm which will be next of never i'll be able to watch some of these again and um and Battlestar galactica is one one of them i think i've watched i watched the pilot episode and like two episodes after that and that was it and I was never never able to get you know back into it just because of just you know uh, time you know just because of time itself, and you know and everybody's told me these great things about it. And I remember when it first came out. I remember the the kid in me was upset because it's like, well, we we had Battlestar Galactica. You know what's wrong with the old one? But <laughs> but now it took a little while for me to understand. I'm like, well, this is a new Battlestar Galactica for a new time. And I think I was just soured on the word uh, reimagining. Mm-hmm. And I was real soured on that word. I'm like, I'm so sick of execs using that word. And and I'm so sick of people trying to reimagine things. But that Battlestar, but the new Battlestar Galactica serves a very strong purpose. And it is for all intents and purposes, like anytime I see snippets or, you know, do some reading on it, it's a very, very good series. So I, I can respect that. And I can still go back to the old Battlestar Galactica, which is corny, campy. You know, everything that I used to love about late 70s, early 80s sci-fi and respect that and love that and also respect what what the new Battlestar Galactica brings to the table as well. So, yeah, I'd never seen the old Battlestar because I think that was well, it was late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have been like a baby at that point. So I never saw it. So I didn't even know it was, uh, you know, a reimagining of a show and i remember our our friend chris who runs wild pig was watching it and uh the guy i was dating at the time we decided ah why not we'll watch it and then we just got hooked and just like devoured seasons and weekends like we just couldn't stop watching it Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it it would definitely get you if you're not careful. Because I've had a lot of friends hooked on Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's just so 
dark and the characters are so well written. Speaking of well-written, and speaking of comics, this is actually going back to all new issues. In the first couple of strips, there is a, a news reporter that's at the Silver Rage comic shop, and the reporter's talking to Jason about the death of Lobster Boy. And Jason, in, 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 his, in, his, in a surly response, when he's asked about, about Lobster Boy and the death of Lobster Boy, his response is, fucking blows. <laughs> but, but, but Todd, on the other hand, who is the biggest Lobster Boy fan in the world, and you people, you have to read the script to understand how infatuated <laughs> Todd is with Lobster Boy. He's all excited. And he's talking to the reporter saying, well, you know, yeah, you know, he's dying, but, you know, his resurrection will be great. And the reporter's like resurrection. And, and, and Todd gets all excited, talks about how, you know, Cap coming back, Thor coming back. And, you know, it's inevitable. And then the reporter gets all pissed because she feels that it's just a waste of time. And but it brings up but it brings up a uh, a question that I wanted to talk to um, both of you about, especially Danny, because Danny read you know reads comics and has a, a nice collection of comics. The state of death and resurrection in mainstream comics. Um, how do y'all feel about that? I I hate when I don't like characters being resurrected. I don't I don't like that. Um, death in a story is you know it's an important thing. And and especially the death of a of a big character, that is it's quite it's important. It's supposed to be jarring, and you're supposed to move forward from it. And um, and instead, they just step back. They just bring them back to life. I mean, some of the best characters in stories have been dead characters, and you know they, they're not alive, but they're still characters. You don't take away their characterness just because, uh, you know, they're dead. It, it's limiting. It's limiting as far as storytelling in comics. And I think, you know, with upper management has this idea that you can do the same thing in a cycle every seven years and get away with it. Yeah, I think the problem is, as comic fans, we're just jaded now. I mean, they kill off a character and you're like, oh, that's nice. They're going to be back in three months. I mean, it's just... That's the way it is. I mean, yeah, it is. I guess, yeah, it is kind of annoying. Like, they kill them off and you're like, oh, well, you know they're coming back. So it doesn't really have an impact on you. And that's just sort of silly. Like, you want that emotional impact. I think that's part of the reason why I'm jaded about mainstream comics nowadays, where I'm like, I don't even get excited anymore because I'm like, well, it's just the same old thing over and over and over again. I'd rather read more independent type stuff because it's much more character driven and more interesting whereas it just seems like the big two are just kind of telling the same stories i mean there are stuff that that is good like i i do remember i think one of my favorite moments about um characters you know dying was in an issue of a x factor when uh banshee dies and siren's like well he's gonna come back he's gonna come back they always come back. My dad's not dead. And that was such a great moment because it's true. They always do come back, but he wasn't coming back. So it was like, I thought that was a very interesting way to tell that story. But other than that, yeah, it, it sort of sucks when they do the whole, you know, coming back to life. But I did read a little bit of Brightest Day. And when, you know, some of those characters came back, that, that was kind of cool. I got to say, I'll give DC props on that one. Mm -hmm. From what I did read, 
I did kind of enjoy it, but I only read like the first three issues and I was like, oh, I'll just wait for the trade. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, please, please. Uh, please. Uh, I would give DC more props in this department, uh, too, definitely than Marvel because DC, aside from the biggest characters that they have, they will keep somewhat important characters dead and they will give uh, something of a legacy to their name if if it's important enough I, like um like star and star and stripe and or uh or the different starmen or blue beetle you know that like that's a really big death if you're a DCU fan and he's not coming back I and will they, give they really well oh, sorry. I will give Marvel props though I mean Phoenix still dead yeah, I I expected Jean Grey to be back in a year, and it's been how many years now, and she's still dead. I'm 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 just as surprised as you are. I, I really am. <laughs> I, tr- I truly am. Here's but here's my here's my whole issue with as far as death in mainstream comics. To me, if you are constantly advertising that this character is going to die, where's the surprise when I read it? Yeah, what's the point? Like, the big thing in previews now is Spider-Man's dying. I'm like, oh, that's nice, and turn the page. I, I just don't even care. Right. You, you shouldn't have to tell me. I should be able to find out on my own when I read it. Where's the, see, I'm, I'm getting all tongue-tied, but the, the surprise when reading comics, um, especially from the mainstream, is something that's slipping. And, and I was talking with a good friend about this uh, yesterday, and, you know, he feels with one company because, you know, Marvel's owned by Disney. It's more of an, and this is just his opinion. It's just, this is in fact, it's just opinion. He feels that because now that Marvel is owned by Disney, the, com- the comics themselves are really just seen as loss leaders. And basically the, where the money is made is through films, through toys, through cartoons, through everything else. And the comics are just used to develop things. You know, and if they sell, that's fine. But if they don't, it's really okay because we're, they're just lost leaders. Because now we just see Marvel Comics as a slew of intellectual properties with thousands of characters. And so, you know, the company itself may freak out and say, well, you know, we got to find ways to sell books. Well, let's just say so-and-so's dying this month. Let's, you know, let's set this up. Let's set that up. And, I, and it takes away from the comic itself. I, because, you know, I come from an age where, you know, pre-internet. We went to the yeah. comic book store. We bought books. We were read, and then you know when something happened, we were literally shocked because you know we weren't spoiled. There are no you know spoilers anywhere. The only way you knew is if you read the book or if a friend down the street found out about it and didn't tell you, just told you to go read it, <laughs> and and that was pretty much it. But now the surprise is taken out of so many books to the point where I'm like, why would I even want to read it? Yeah, that's one of the problems with the internet. I mean, it's everyone's getting spoiled and all the news sites have all the what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And you're like, well, what's, why did I even read this interview? Like when they uh, said who was Twilight in the uh, Buffy comic, they announced that months before the issue came out. And I was like, but I didn't want to know who the villain was. Thanks for spoiling it for me. Exactly. And I didn't even read the issues. I was like, I guess I'll just wait for the trade because obviously it's not a big deal. Like I, I wanted that surprise, but I remember being, you know, like 14 and 15 and, and rushing to the comic book store and, you know, can't, I couldn't wait to like rip open like the new issue of X-Men and just waiting all summer long. Cause always, always the big events were always in the summer 
and it would always make me sad because I'd be like, I want summer to last so long, so long, but I want that new issue of X-Men. And I'd be like counting down the days for it. And I don't feel like there's that excitement anymore. No. Like, it feels like almost like the internet's kind of spoiling us from that. Yeah, I mean, I really try to stay away from from a lot of the uh, a lot of the sites that you know give that give away that give away stuff, give away news and whatnot. You know, and I because I don't get to to read comics as frequent as a lot of as a lot of my friends or a lot of other people um, are able to. So I try to stay away from as much gossip as possible. So when I actually read this book, I can actually be surprised instead of reading and saying, "Okay, when is this coming? When is this coming? When is this? oh there it is," and, and, and it makes for it makes for a better read for me. And it's it's just really been something that has been sticking with sticking in my head for a while and i definitely wanted to talk about it so i figured if, if not now this would be a good time because all new issues brought it up for me so <laughs> well I, I definitely think you're also with with these big announcements of 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 major changes and and deaths deaths specifically and rebirths is you have this uh a sort of hanger on from the uh the prospector days where they're trying to make this big pay for your kids college fund book yeah Yeah. and so the people who wouldn't normally go and read comics go what spider-man this massive american icon that i care about is going to die i will go wait online (laughs) oh and also could you just could you just imagine the backlash from the geek community you just crack open Amazing Spider-Man number eight forty-three, and then he's just dead. Venom just eats him. Mm. Like that. <laughs> that would just be a backlash. That would just be horrifying. No, these are sensitive, sensitive people, and you have to, you have to sort of gently lead them up. You know. Well, well, think about the backlash when Gwen Stacy was revealed as like a big giant slut having Norman Osborn's kids. Oh my goodness. The comics <laughs> community was an uproar. You can't tarnish Gwen Stacy. She was so innocent and like it was an interesting story. And not only that, but you didn't know you didn't see that coming. Exactly. And the fact is, um I was talking to our friend Chris and he's like they never really talked much about Gwen Stacy. You didn't really know much about her in those comics. So you're kind of, you have this image of her built up in your head and it's not really true. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's, that's the absolute, that's the absolute truth. I mean, I remember as a kid when I was reading Spider-Man, you know, I had no idea who Gwen Stacy was at all. Oh, by the time, by the time I was reading Spider-Man, I, you know, I read a couple, you know, I read some books before Gwen Stacy had shown up because there were reprints everywhere. But, you know, I got into Spider-Man, Mary Jane was around. Or the uh, death of Gene DeWolf uh, from, Mm -hmm. uh, from a spectacular Spider-Man that I remember. I remember though, I remember the death of Gene DeWolf more than I do anything of Gwen Stacy. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, she was a character in the 60s. Not many, I mean, if you read the reprints, yeah, you'd remember her, but People just, it's crazy. (laughs) I don't know. But no, but it brings up a valid point where you're talking about um, comic book fans or fanboys per se getting all riled up over something like Gwen Stacy and whatnot. And with web comics, web comics, you know, anybody can hop on the internet and check out your web comics. So you can have an act, you know, like a, a like a 
person that's been reading comics since like the the break the, since like the beginning of time, or you could have somebody that you know used just to read comic strips in the newspaper read them, or you have all different types of readers. There is no one set web comics reader. You know, there, there's not saying, you know, you can't say uh, this is a webcomics reader. You can't say that. There's no such thing. It's just people just read them. You're writing and drawing not only for yourself before an audience, but you're not specific. You know, you're not specific. You just, you know, you want people to enjoy your strip. That's the number one goal. You want people to enjoy your strip. You want people to enjoy your comic. My next question is, do you feel like from, from like, you know, just out of your, your personal opinion, do you feel that a lot of like mainstream comics, do they need to stop writing to 50,000 slash 100,000 readers or do they just really just need to write and make good books? I think they just need to make good books. I mean, there's just something about reading a really good story, like a really good character driven story that it's just, it's good. I mean, I can, I don't want to open up a book and just see slash and kill violence. Like it's just, it's not what I want anymore, but that's me. Like I, as I've gotten older, I gear more towards character driven stories. I, I don't really want the whole big giant, big event, violence, 10,000 character crossovers anymore. Like it, it doesn't really interest me. Like every once in a while, it's a fun, guilty pleasure, but I just want a really well written story. They definitely need to, you know, branch out in terms of, of genre too. I mean, if you look at the shelves, I think that's something that you you start to see. Not so much from from the big two, but from other uh, publishers, like what is it Dynamite, and they have all of these different all of the all of the things that they buy up, and and you can get the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or you can get, you know, what do they call they, the man with no name? Yes. But you can get westerns. You can get uh, crime. You can get, you know, that sort of thing. It's not just superheroes. And I think that and, um, well, actually, you know, the comic book store itself actually I think did a lot of damage to comics ultimately. Yeah, but you know what? I I gotta say. I miss going to a comic book store because both Bill and I worked at the same comic book store that our good friend Chris uh, used to run. Mm -hmm. And after the store closed, uh, I just, he usually will just, he would drop my books off or, and now I go through DCBS and I miss that ability of going to the store and picking out comics and just browsing through the shelves and talking to people. Like I find that, not having that interaction, my love for comics wanes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very weird. Like, we went into a comic book store, uh, I think a couple weeks ago. I was like, we were driving by one. I was like, you know what? Let's just stop in. I haven't been to a store in, so, like, months. And I walk in. I look at the shelves. And I'm like, huh. Nothing really interests me. And it made me sad. Like, I was really upset at the idea that I'm, I'm going into a comic book store and I'm not coming out with anything. Because nothing really interests me, and they're just so expensive. Yeah. Like, I can't afford this. Like, I don't know how people do this, because I was incredibly fortunate that I would get my comics for free, so I've been spoiled. <laughs> and now I'm like, I have to pay? No, I don't like this that much to pay for it. And it, it makes me sad. Like, I'm, I'm really noticing when I make my order every month that... I'm very specific of what I get because I, I budget out what I can afford. And it's only a few books make the cut anymore. 
Yeah, no, I know. I know exactly how you feel because I really feel that as far as like mainstream publishers go, and I give kudos for DC for, you know, making 299 books. I understand they had to take a couple pages out of the book. I understand that. But in order to keep a book at 299, if that's what you had to do, so be it. I'm fine with it. I, I really feel like unless you're like an independent publisher, independent slash small press publisher, I understand if you have a 399 book. Because yeah. because printing is a bitch. Um, you know, part oh my of, part, goodness! Part of my French, it's a total bitch. Um, it's so expensive. Very expensive. Uh, I you know the days of in like the late eighties, early nineties, investing two thousand dollars in a print run with a guaranteed profit margin of between four thousand to six thousand dollars. Those days are gone. Uh, you know, they're absolutely gone. I mean, there would be people that would just make comics. Yeah, yeah, I forget who said it. I don't can't remember if it was uh, Phil Hester. I think it was Phil Hester said it in an interview where, you know, he and you know a fellow colleague would put a book together or some other colleagues and I and I may be um it may not have been Phil Hester but anyway, they said you know they would put a book together. It cost two thousand dollars to print and they said they knew how much money they would make back automatically after the book was in print and shipped out in stores. That it no longer exists. It, no. it no longer exists because a lot of stores aren't indie friendly and there's a lot of conditioning, especially with the big two. There's a lot of conditioning. I mean, people have been conditioned into events. Some, not all. I shouldn't, I shouldn't paraphrase or uh, blanket, but uh, you know, a lot of people have been just like trapped by the event and they can't escape it. And like, they'll say something like Dark Rain isn't an, isn't an event. I'm like, well, if, if I see Dark Rain on the front of one of the books I read, that means it's part of Dark Rain, which means it's part of an event. So, yeah. you know, I don't like, no, it's not an event. I'm like, no, nah, really, homeboy, it is. Just because you didn't have, <laughs> just because you didn't have a miniseries called Dark Rain doesn't mean that it's not an event. If it affects an entire universe, it's an event, buddy. It, it affected the whole universe. And it, maybe they didn't have a miniseries, but they had all those isolated, they had, they had all those one shots that tied together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once you put that logo on 15 different comics in one month, it's an event. Exactly. There's no answer about it. Exactly. And no, that's another thing that drives me crazy. Like if you go through the Marvel previews, there are so many books. I'm like, you guys realize we're in an economic crisis, right? Like people don't have money. Why are you putting out 10 more books? Like, do you remember the day when Deadpool couldn't support one book and now he has seven? <laughs> How does that work? Oh, no, I know. I, I remember when Cable and Deadpool was struggling to sell copies. Yeah. I, rem I remember those days because I would read that book. I'm like, this isn't bad. Why isn't this selling? Nowadays, you know, they're, they're finally, quote unquote, cutting back a bit on Deadpool. But still, I'm like, <laughs> there, there's there's no way. It's like, I thought Thor the, Thor, the Mighty Avenger, great premise, great concept, great art team. But I'm like, you, I'm like I, a friend of mine told me, he's like, the market can't support three Thor books. No. So when people are getting mad because like it's you know it's getting canceled in my mind like the cynical side's like well, what do you expect there are too many freaking books yeah like you can't afford it comic book stores can't afford to carry that stuff and people can't afford to buy it and not only that but like on the digital side like with with the bigger publishers the prices are still a tad high oh they are you know they're still a tad high so you know the numbers might not be where they want them to be but I'm like you know what. I would say, you know, let's get more readers in. You, let's get more readers in. I would, you know, I would price digital to a, to a point where it's, you know, it's still profitable. I just remember when, you know, a comic book in itself, no matter whether it was an issue of Captain America or issue of Iron Man 
or Superman. The issue itself was the event. Not the event was the event. The, you know, what was going on in said comic was the event. When Cap, like say for instance, going back to the old school, where Cap decided he didn't want to be Captain. Steve Rogers said, look, I'm not Cap. I don't want to be Captain America anymore. I quit. That was an event in, in itself. And Johnny Walker, or John Walker became Captain America. And Steve Rogers became the captain. And, you know, that was, but it wasn't labeled as an event. But it, in, a, in an actuality, it was. But it was on its own. Yeah, it was just a story. Like, I remember being 13 and devouring X-Men comics and then just reading them over and over and over again. And I don't think I've done that with a single issue in years because it's all like event focused or every issue is tied to a next issue because you want to have the trade put together. And I completely understand that. But it's like there's no standalone stories anymore. You're not just getting one of that simple enjoyment out of it. You have to read the next one to get more enjoyment and then the next one to get more enjoyment where it's like, well, why am I buying single issues? I'm just going to buy the trade instead. Well, I said that uh, ages ago, (laughs) even when I was, you know, I, I was working at the comic book store too, and I could have gotten my single issues for free. And I was like, no, because I hate single issues. I will, I can't, and I won't. I love the trade because it's a much bigger story, and if it's done right, it's it's a you know a smaller circle that fits into the bigger circle of the whole series. And that is much more fulfilling for me than than the single issue. That is true. I mean, like when I finally decided. I'm going trades, like I'm going completely trades. I was only getting two comics in single issues, and that was Fables and Walking Dead, because those were really, I think those are probably the only single issues that I felt were fulfilling every month. But then it got to the point where I frankly just don't want to have single issues around the house. Like I just find them to collect dust, and I don't like the boxes. I'd rather have a trade sitting on my bookshelf that I was like, okay, stop wasting your money. You're just going to throw these out anyway. So I just went trade with everything else and those two. Let's go ahead and bring it back to all new issues uh, for a moment. I know through reading all new issues that for a moment there was a crossover between all new issues and uh, um, Dan. Girls with slingshots. I was trying to say Daniel Corsetto's girls, girls with slingshots, and I got tongue tied. Can uh, y'all talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, it came down to we're we're really good friends with Danielle, and we were down in West Virginia. I guess last year it was. Was it over the summer? I don't know. It was either last year or over the summer. I don't remember. I think it actually was over the summer. Sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> and she was talking about, it was right around the time when her and uh, Randy Mulholland were doing the kitten strip. And she was going, and we're out at a bar, and she's talking about the kitten storyline. She's like, yeah, we think we're going to give out the kittens to different web comics." And I was like, well, obviously, you should give us a kitten. <laughs> and she's like, well... I don't want to just give it to you guys because I don't want everyone to think that I'm playing favorites. And like right there on the spot, I was like, well, listen, see, Robin and Dan- and and <laughs> Hazel are cousins. And Robin's feeling really, really sad. So it just makes sense that she would get a cat and to make her feel all happy. But then she brings it to the store and then the cat falls in love with the store and decides it doesn't want to leave. And it becomes a store kitten. And Danielle's like, oh, 
that's good. And I was like, score, we're totally getting a kitten. (laughs) You know, that's a clever crossover. Instead of the Jetsons meets the Flintstones type deal, that's something that's a little bit more, it's just a little more clever. And I I like that. Yeah, I thought it was a great idea. And uh, thanks so much to Danielle for letting us have one of the kittens. Because, I mean, I think the kitten has become Bill's favorite character to draw. Oh, absolutely. I get free reign over Selena because she can't talk because she's a cat. So that is it's it's all me to to sort of put Selena somewhere and having her do something interesting and cute and conveying all of this stuff without words. And that's really sort of my place to just play and have fun where, you know, Danny is working with the conversational aspect. Yeah, he's totally having a blast with it. And it the best part is neither of us have ever owned a cat. So this is all new to us. <laughs> I, I literally, I emailed my best friend and I was like, okay, I think we're basing the cat on your cat, Lily. Tell me stupid stories of what she's done. And she sent me this big giant email list of all these stories of her cat. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do that at one point, that at one point. So she's... Selena's taking on qualities of our uh, friend since Cat Lily. This is the first time we've done this together, so it's it's fascinating and fun, and I guess it's getting our toes wet on the whole speaking on a you know interview and talking about the strip because it's weird to talk about the strip it is really weird to talk about the strip (laughs) yeah it's hard to talk about it like i know about it in my head but to actually formulate sentences i'm like ah this is weird (laughs) once you get used to it trust me it's like clockwork you will have no issues with it at all none at all yeah i figure you must be like a a carnival barker at this point (laughs) um it's getting close in some spots in some 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 recordings are better than others like depending on there are some times where I can do all the research possible and I'll have like a set list of questions. And there's then there are some times where I'll have a set list of questions and they're not that many, but sometimes I'll have to let the conversation create questions on its own. Mm-hmm. And like actually like the whole thing was, was that the last minute I wrote down the whole death and resurrection in comics. I was like, well, I don't know if that's really going to fit, fit in, fit in this. And it actually did. So no, no, this has really been really, really great. Okay, good. Because I was all nervous. I'm like, I haven't read mainstream comics in forever. Am I really geeky enough? Yeah, she was worried about her women of geekery credentials. I know. I really was. I'm like, I'm not oh. sure I'm geeky enough for this. And oh, then, I, but now I'm looking around in our living room, which is literally two big giant bookcases, two small bookcases, and a DVD bookshelf full of manga digests. There you go. And statues and original art, and going. No, I think I think I'm okay because it's mostly mine. <laughs> I think he was very happy when he started dating me because you know he was able to glom onto my collection of stuff. <laughs> that was that was like the big deal of our relationship when finally we're like, okay, I guess we're gonna move in together. And and he looked at me one day and he went, "Do you want to put our trade collection together?" And I was like, "I don't know if I'm ready for that step. That's a pretty big step. <laughs> Living together is one thing, but." You want to combine our trades? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a big giant step. That's bigger than like marriage. I was that like, was that was an important part of our relationship. I was like prenup trade agreement. Mm, it's like I got burned. <laughs> like no way. It's like please in, in this relationship, please know what is mine is mine. What is yours is yours. Do not try to take my books. 
Exactly. <laughs> Me and my wife, like, she's not into comics like I am. I mean, there are things, you know, TV shows and certain movies that we can get into together, but the comic books are all me. Sometimes she'll, like, look, I have, like, a bookshelf of trades, a lot of them, which I haven't even read yet. She's like, you gonna read this shit? <laughs> are you gonna read this shit or not? And I'm like, I am. I'm like, some of it I'm gonna keep and some of it I'm gonna sell. She's like, well, you need to get to reading some of this stuff where you start buying more stuff. This is ridiculous. She's like, I'm not mad at you. Just, just like, you can just go to the damn library and rent these books if you want. I'm like, it's not the same. No, it isn't. Because then you have to return it and you have to read it in a certain amount of time. Yes, and, and I don't and I don't have a certain amount of time. Exactly. I, I, well, and Danny's Danny's definitely like you. She'll get a she'll get a trade and I'll be like another one for the pile. Oh yeah. I'll read it before she reads it. It's awful. I mean, I, there's probably a bookshelf full of books that I haven't read yet. Yeah. I'm like, I'll get there at some point. No, see, like, my wife is, like, easy reader because, like, she, like, reads just, like, novels, all types of novels, mystery novels, um, you know, all, just all types of stuff. And, like, she'll blaze through books in days. And I'm like, see, this is, like, this is why you need to read comic books. You need to read these trades. And she's just like, I'm not feeling that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I even bought her some charm comic books. Mm. yeah they probably weren't that good and she was like well this is all right but she was like are there more and i was just like well at the time there was only issue zero and issue one and it was xenoscope and we we all know what we get with xenoscope oh my goodness (laughs) oh man alice in wonderland that i actually stopped and went okay i'm usually not offended by things but oh my god it was like alice was knocked out and on a table naked covered with food and like weird pairings of like a pineapple ring on her breast with like whipped cream and a cherry on top. Yeah. I don't and, remember it very well, but I, oh, there was definitely oh a cherry on top. where yes. the, uh... And then the Mad Hatter was like this creepy old guy who was like over her, like licking her. And I'm like, Oh, this is Which makes awful. sense. She was covered in food. Well, yeah, yeah. That was his lunch. <laughs> that is nasty. <laughs> I'm looking at this going, okay, really? Really? Come on now, guys. Like, this is a bit too much. It takes a lot to make me go, oh, and I, oh, that, that was and, and that's why I'm really surprised they got the charm license. I was really surprised at that, too. You know, I've read some of the grim, 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 grim fairy tales. I've read some mm-hmm. of them, and some of them, like, okay, that's not bad. And others, I'm, I'm just like, okay, you're just being cheesecake for this, for the, for just for being straight up cheesecake. And I'm like, and cheesecake has its spot in comics. I mean, it's not like I'm a prude or anything. I'm like, if you want to like show the sexuality and and the stuff, that's fine. But I'm like, even I got my own lines. You know what I mean? There's like, there's some lines I'm not supposed to cross. Yeah, and, and that's one of them. They cross it all the time. <laughs> Before we end this conversation, Danny and Bill, because you've both been part of Wild Pig Comics, and Wild Pig has their um, now they do this two times a year, right? The Wild yes. Pig, the Wild Pig Convention. Yep. Can you tell the people what the Wild Pig Convention is about and when it will be taking? The first one will be taking place. Okay, it is going to be Sunday, April third, and it's going to be in Somerset, New Jersey at the Holiday Inn on Davidson Avenue. And pretty much the whole idea behind it is Chris, the owner of Wild Pig, when he used to own the store, we'd have these big giant 50% off sales that would go for, the one in the springtime would go for 20 
eight hours, 30 hours. Yeah. Something like that. Oh my God. It was a long time. Yeah. Like it would literally, we'd start at noon on Saturday and then he would close Sunday at five. Hmm. And those were a lot of fun because yeah, we would, we would coincide them with a, a sort of a 24 hour comic challenge. Yeah, the the idea was back in the day, Bill and the person that he used to uh, do Silver Rage with, uh, they I was like, you guys should totally do a twenty four hour comic. That would be so cool. And I was like, you guys should do it at the store. Like, go to the store and just we'll hang out and do the thing for twenty four hours. And then when we told Chris the idea, Chris was like, yeah, that's cool. And then Chris goes, you know what? We should do the fifty percent off sale for twenty four hours. And we're like, that's a great idea. <laughs> And then it happened and we're like, why am I still awake? (laughs) Because it would literally be like, we'd get there, like I'd get there like 11 o'clock in the morning or something. The store would open at noon. It would be swamped, like 200 people in this little tiny store. I mean, packed like to sometimes to get to the back of the store, you'd actually have to go out the front door, walk around the building and go to the back door. Mm. It was so swamped in there. And then I would usually take a nap sometime in the afternoon. And then from midnight till about eight in the morning was my shift. And then Chris would come in and then I would go in the back and sleep again. Wow. (laughs) But after he closed the store, he was like, well, you know what? Those were really, really fun. So let's do it again. So now twice a year, he rents out a hotel room, a ballroom, and invites a ton of artists. And we just have a Randall time. Everything's all the trades are 50% off. And mm-hmm. there's like six bookcases full of them. And then he brings out all the stock that he was never able to bring out into the store because the store was such a small space. So there's like 150 long boxes of 50 cent books that are all in alphabetical order. Reasonably. Reasonably. <laughs> They're, they've, they've been a little decimated, but usually, um, what we've been doing is the night before we set up everything and we get together a big giant filing party and everyone who actually enjoys filing comics, which I do not understand in the least, (laughs) they come and they descend and they just go crazy. And then this year is going to be a blast because Saturday night, all the guys from CGS are coming up and they're going to help file. So it's going to be like this big giant insane party. And then Sunday will be the sale. From 10 a.m. to 6. See, I, I'm jealous because because of like finances and with everything I'm doing right now, I just honestly don't have the time to make it to New Jersey yeah. to go to Wild Pig. And like, I'm hurt. And like, <laughs> I had I had to send the sad email to Danny that I couldn't go. And like, I'm sitting there like, you know, I'm like, okay, I should not be crying. I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> I should not be crying while writing, while, writing, while writing this email. And I'm just like, I can't do it. I want to be there. I just can't. And I'm like, I have not cried like this since Optimus Prime died in the animated Transformers movie in the 80s. This is ridiculous. I shouldn't be this invested in comic books. Man, nobody blames you. These are these are sad things. You know? <laughs> thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. I, I I'm start I'm tearing up a little bit because you can't go. You know, I, 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 I am I, empathizing I, with you. I appreciate it, I, and I want to be there one day. It's like. I just like just want to find I just want to find the time where I just have like four days that are just for me and I can do whatever the hell I want. And one of those days would consist of going to the Wild Pig Convention. And well, hopefully, maybe the fall. We've I have no idea when the fall one will be, but 
maybe you know september october ish okay well we will, i will try to i will try to work something out maybe i will like hit the lottery or something and i exactly and you know and then i can get like a learjet and just like land right in front of the hotel <laughs> you can you can come take a vacation in scenic new jersey ah yes yes we actually live in a nice part of new jersey <laughs> we don't live by newark which Everyone, you know, when you fly into New Jersey, you fly into Newark, and that's a horrible, horrible area that smells, and it's full of buildings and toxic waste dumps, and it's awful. So mm. New Jersey gets a really bad rap about that. Yeah, we really like, we really roll out the red carpet for visitors. <laughs> you can come crash at our house. We're only five minutes away from the hotel. You can come sleep on our nice couch. Oh, that's awesome. It's big and comfy. I must uh, acquire some extra fundage so so I can so I can <laughs> do this this year somehow, some way. Alrighty. Well, I tell you what. Before we close up shop, where can people read all new issues? Where can they find you on Twitter? And where can they find all new issues on Facebook? Okay. Well, you can go to allnewissuescomic.com. That is the website. Um, our Twitter accounts are both connected to said. Uh, website yeah because i'm uh just danielle o'brien on twitter and bill is bf ellis on twitter and then on facebook i think you can just search all new issues and it'll come up i didn't actually set the facebook.com slash all new issues yet i just set up the website the facebook like page like a week ago excellent i have to say this was a really great episode i had a great time um, and i hope the both of you had a lot of fun as well oh my goodness it was so much fun thank you yeah, so it was much really great thank you i mean technically you popped our podcast cherry together <laughs> i mean we were both on cgs but they we didn't we weren't interviewed together so i'm going to give you the pop in our cherry props i will take that cherry and hold it in honor <laughs> and, and and great and great pride great pride yes you know and this is awesome i will take that cherry and i will like smash it on some uh some bed sheets and then like walk outside and show people from a, from like the balcony take that cherry and put it in the center of a pineapple ring in a creepy <laughs> comic book <laughs> alice covered in food and then uh, i like where this cherry is going yes you yes for you know taking such care with it <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome Danny Bill thank you so much for being on the show oh, thank you thank so you much for Sean. having us I'm on the line right now with the creator of Geek Syndicate the Comic. Uh, Geek Syndicate the Comic follows the adventures of Dave and Barry, two geeks that do crazy things such as uh, hunt for werewolves, fight over lottery tickets, uh, have alternate universe adventures, uh, just <laughs> numerous crazy wacky things. Uh, they kidnap Santa Claus. The creator and artist of Geek Syndicate, the webcomic, is a very talented individual. I've known this man for a few years. His art style is one of a kind, really good man, and just an all-out hustler as far as comics and entertainment go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harold Jennett. Harold, how you doing, sir? 
I am very good, Sean. Thank you. I can't think of anything funny or embarrassing to say, so I'm just going to sound professional and say that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. If, <laughs> if, if people only knew all the outtakes from trying to get this interview started, but that's another story for another time. You are currently on a promotional tour for Geek Syndicate, the comic, uh, being on sale at a discount comic book service. Uh, now tell me, what's this all about? Well, what, what I'm doing is, I, I well, it's what you just said, actually, so... What else do I need to say? Well, oh, I gotta, I gotta actually be pro- okay. I'm not good at the selling thing. I, I know you, you gotta sell. I mean, I can, I can sell it for you. But if I'm no, gonna sell no, it for I need you, to learn. I need okay. to learn. Because so if, what, what if I'm gonna sell it for you, why are you on the damn show? I don't know. I could hang up. No, don't hang up, fool. Come on, <laughs> don't hang up. Stop. I am doing a, I'm doing a web strip, as you said, uh, called Geek Syndicate Comic, and I am done with a year of it. Actually, I'm quite a bit over a year now. But as soon as I hit the year mark. I decided I was going to make a collection of it and then sell it because a lot of other web strips do that. And it seems like something's pretty popular. A lot of people asked me about it if I was ever going to collect it. So I did. It is, uh, as you said, it's on discount comic book service and it's also on Indie, Indie Planet. And the proceeds are going to a, an organization called Heifer International. And what Heifer does is instead of just giving people like a one, like just a one time handout, they try to empower needy people in, in uh, other countries to take care of themselves uh, so they can finally become self-reliant. So when you when you give money to them, what they get are things like livestock, like cows or chicks or goats. They can supply their own milk. Uh, they can get grain. I'm probably screwing up their catalog. You can go to heifer.org, H-E-I-F-E-R.org, and see all the different things that they supply. But it's been a really uh, a great charity that I've, I've contributed to a few times, not trying to I'm trying not. I'm not trying to brag. Look what I did. I started this charity, but they're a really good cause. And so that was the first one I thought of when I decided to to do some charity work with the book. So all the profits go towards that. The book is three dollars. It's twenty four pages. It's black and white, except for the inside front cover, inside back cover have the color strips that I've done. That's so that's cool. what you get. You get a pinup by Dan Cap. Oh, how do you say Dan's last name? Uh, Daniel uh, Capitamini. That's the one. Sorry, Dan. Daniel, does he prefer Daniel? He'll let me know. <laughs> so I'm going to have a few copies of Super Show after talking to Pants and Shane on Comic Geek Speak. I'm starting to think maybe I should order some more copies. But that's what I'm doing. If you want to check out the actual webcomic, it's at geeksyndicatecomic.com. creation of geek syndicate the comic we have dave and barry and dave and barry are based off of barry nugent and david monteith of the geek syndicate podcast what was your inspiration to do a web comic based off of them and putting them in these like wacky adventures specifically what was it i think it was a story called the bouncy man they were telling a story about when they were when they had gone on i believe some type of retreat when they were younger and they told this ghost story about this guy called the bouncy man and and they also told uh, a werewolf story and a vampire story and dave and barry tell stories so well and when they tell a story it's so funny and and when i was listening to the bouncy man specifically i started thinking this would be a really cool comic it could be a little bit funny a little scooby-doo-ish like kind of like scooby-doo meets monty python Sort of. I, I think that was the point. I think I listened to a couple more. And every time they told a story, I, I just started seeing it like in comic strip form. So I finally contacted, and I didn't know Dave and Barry at all. I was a huge fan, but 
I think you know how it is when like you listen to a, a podcast and you kind of like you really like the hosts, but you feel like they'd never want to talk to you. Like I remember first time I listened to Half Hour Wasted and they actually answered my one of my letters. I'm like, wow, they're talking to me. It, it was that kind of thing. I was scared to contact them. But I emailed Barry and asked, hey, I was wondering, what do you think of the idea of making like a comic book about you guys? And I could just imagine them on the other end thinking, hearing me like this, like, hey, I have this idea for a comic book. And you and ba- you and Dave would be in it and you'd fight monsters. So I just assumed that's, you know, how they were taking it. And so so Barry got back to me. He's like, oh, that, that sounds cool. And to his credit, I'm not sure how, how many times he gets that type of, of message from people. So, and I said, I didn't even think I'd be able to do it right now, but I just, you know, gave him the idea. It's like, oh, it kind of sounds cool. And in my mind, it's like, yeah, whatever. And he was not like that at all. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he just thinks I'm some kind of loser. So, you know, never did anything with it for a while. I kept listening to the show. And Wayne Cordova and I were working on Mimes at the time. And when we were working on the second book, uh, towards the end, I had to take a break. Or I, I had to take a leave of absence because I was going to adopt my, my son from China. And I knew I wasn't going to have the time to, to do the last storyline. So Wayne was going to write the last story and Andrew Charapar was going to illustrate it. And I think both, of, I think life has gotten in the way for all of us for continuing that. I, I think someday we might be working on it, but we're not sure. So anyway, when I got back, I, I was a little too busy to work on a full color comic book. But I was thinking, I couldn't stop thinking about you know, doing the web strip with Dave and Barry and it kept, you know, going back and forth in my head. And I thought, well, what if I made it a web strip instead of a full-fledged comic book? I could handle that. So once again, I, I, I contacted Barry and, and Dave kind of hesitantly. I'm like, hey, remember that idea I had about doing it? Well, what if it was a web strip? Would you guys mind? And Barry, Barry responded to me. He's like, mate, we'd have your arm off to do a comic strip for us. Of course you can do one. <laughs> so, so that was like, cool. And so I, I did the, the first few, and I think that was around when they were ripping on Smallville. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do a web strip about about Barry uh, getting an intervention from Dave to quit Smallville. So I, I wrote it up, and I kept asking Barry, you know, do you have any ideas? He had, he had, I think he, Barry came up with the idea for, like, the last panel of the last small, Smallville strip. But besides that, they've both been very hands-off. Not that they don't want to be involved, and not that, I, not that I don't want them to be involved, but they've just been... Like, this has been going great. You're doing a great job. Just keep doing it. A couple of times, Barry's had some ideas, and I've been, you know, I'll, I'll put it in there. I, I'm sorry, I didn't want to say that dismissively. Like, he'll have an idea, I'll put it in there. It's always been a, g- a great idea. So so that it's it's fun when we do get to put something together, um, the two of us. But uh, for the most part, I've just been able to do whatever I want, and I, I keep waiting to get fired. Because <laughs> you, you've seen some of the things I put those two through. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, there was a, um, a strip that you did. And this was like early strip, I think like strip number five. And it was titled USA. And yep. in the strip, it says, Geek Syndicate's focus groups have shown our American audience to be confused by our British dialogue and humor. In response, we here at Geek Syndicate are proud to present the new, improved American re- re- reimagining of our strip. Enjoy. And the next panel has Lawrence Fishburne as David Monteith. And and, uh, and Fishburne saying, come on, Barry, Smallville's pushed you to the edge. And then the next panel is Samuel L. Jackson as Barry Nugent. And Samuel Jackson says, you don't even know me, you son of a bitch. And then it moves to the next panel, Nerd Unit Alpha, coming this fall. This is so ridiculous. And I, it was hilarious. I loved it. That leads me to my next question, especially with strip number five. You do this little joke about some Americans not being able to get British humor. 
Um, you found a way to mix British humor with American humor in this strip as it's continued to grow. Like as of this recording, it's like on 63 strips. How have you been able to provide that balance between American humor and British humor? I don't know. Have I been able to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I hope I am. I think you've, I think you've been able to. It's not always easy. I've been finding myself, I'm sort of slowly Americanizing the two of them. I still like them to say mate once in a while, but there's this weird uh, um, promotional ad guy in the back of my head that the guy that you never want to deal with that when you're the marketing guy i have this i have this annoying like marketing person in the back of my head like another personality like multiple personalities i have and that's one of them sorry i'm making this way too complicated once in a while the little marketing guy in the back of my head will start talking to me and he'll be like okay well if you make them too british will the american readers get it but then if you make them too americanized are the british readers going to feel like you've turned on them because dave and barry are british so I don't know. I'm, I'm tr- I'd like to think it's 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 at a place where everyone can enjoy it. I mean, another hurdle I had was not really a hurdle, but I wanted to make sure that you didn't have to listen to the podcast to to enjoy the strip. And that that's not to say I'm embarrassed by the podcast at all. I love the podcast, but I think early on a few people were like, "Okay, so is it going to be like in jokes from the podcast? Do I have to listen to it?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no," because that would, for one thing, like make my audience pretty limited. Um, <laughs> Not that I'm saying, I mean, there's lots of listeners of the podcast, but I, I want anyone to be able to, to enjoy it. But that was that was definitely another part of it, too, was was British humor. And, and sometimes I, I know people that there are actually some people out there that don't get Monty Python. They're not nice people or good people, but they're out there. And uh, so I need to cater to them. But actually, I think the last strip I've been working on was specifically the hardest one because it involves a subway. But they call I think they call it the tube in England. And it's called the subway here, and it involves a subway pass, or I, I what are the, I don't remember what they call it in uh, New York, but it's like a, a pass where you pay a certain amount of money for a pass, and it gives you so many rides, and you just take your pass, you swipe it through the turnstile, and go through. So I was like, okay, uh, I can't call it the tube because I don't even know if that's the right word. I don't even know if they have passes. And I mean, I did a lot of research for this. I contacted Barry. I went on Twitter. I'm like, okay, UK listeners, what do you call this? And they, one of the, my many helpful, wonderful readers gave me a, a really good explanation of it. And I'm like, okay, that's a little too complicated because I can't put all that into the strip. But I ended, I ended up just calling it the train. Like I had to take the train. And I just ended up saying, you know, I need I need a pass and I don't have one. It, it worked out. But once in a while, like, I don't expect those things to happen because I don't think about it. But it, it does happen once in a while. Have you ever thought of just, like, say, for instance, keeping the British term in there and then putting an asterisk and underneath the strip just saying, translate it, this means this? I almost did, actually. <laughs> that was my original <laughs> That was my original plan. I probably should have, actually, but no, it's no, already no. done. No, 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 dude, no, dude. See, I think it's okay the way it is, too. I like the yeah. way I did it as well, but... That's the thing, though. Sometimes I get torn. Yeah. Like, I want to do the asterisk thing and have a translation, and other times I just want to make it easier. You know, well, the goal is you just want, you know, you want to make a fun comic. You want to be able to tell a story. Yeah. And the thing is, is that reading the strip, you're telling stories. You're doing a very good job of it. The pencil work is nice. The gray tones are really, really nice. Really make the images pop. You know, the style, like as far as the style goes, you know, and actually let's, let's cut, let's cut to the next question. You know, your style is very animated. I enjoy reading this strip. Where do you 
get your inspiration artistically from? I get a lot of uh, inspiration from Jeff Smith, a lot of inspiration from Mike Mignola. I, I, but you, you don't see much of that cartoony stuff in what I'm doing. I wish I could remember the name of, of oh, I think I have the comic strip right here. Uh, Frank Espinosa. Okay. He does a book called Ricketto. Uh, anyway, he was one of them. Batman the animated series, a lot of Bruce Timm stuff. Bloom County, Burke Reed. He had a big inspiration. Uh, he was a big inspiration for me. He was one of my earliest inspirations, uh, especially the way I draw eyes, especially when you see Dave or Barry pissed off. Mm-hmm. That is pulled right out of, of a Bloom County pissed off eyes look. I think a lot of my a lot of my cartoon style does come from Bloom County. I'm not sure where the rest of it comes from. Some of it might be, you know, I, I, it's, this is sound funny, but I think some of it comes from this old Bugs Bunny how-to-draw book I had when I was little. And I remember, like, the way that I, that you, I highlight my black areas, I learned from drawing Sylvester the Cat. Uh, so, anyway, so those are some of my inspirations. I used to have that book. Did you? I was just basically tracing the pictures and whatnot, and then I tried to draw it on my own, and, oh, it was just bad. It was bad. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But see, what I ended up doing because of that was I would go back to the library. Right. And then I went to the library, and they had, like, these slew of how to draw comic char- like you know character books. It could be right. comic book characters. It could be... Uh, comic strip characters and it was a breakdown detail of step by step you know how to draw the characters so i just i I would you know i would go to library borrow those and just like practice 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 and for a while you know i got pretty decent at it but like all kids it only takes like one little shining light to like make you switch your and divert your attention to something else and then by the time i went back to it i was rusty again And and that's the way it's always been with myself and artwork I'll get into a phase where I'll start to practice and practice and practice again, but then I always have a, a ton of things to do. So how do you balance that out? But um, in in your case, you're doing this strip, doing you're doing you're doing your artwork. You got the nine to five. You got the family. How do you make time to balance out doing a web strip with everything else you do? Well, actually, the web strip it's called my lunch break. Basically, I think ever since I've been doing this strip. Uh, I, I, I do almost everything on my half hour lunch at work and that that's been the way that it's been working. Um, I, I have a side project that you're aware of too, that I want to work on in the future. That's going super slow. And that's because I do it when I get home. But when I get home, we go back to what you were saying. I have, I have my kids, I have my wife and I want to make sure I get, I give them time before I start working on any artwork. So by doing the web strip over my lunch hour or over my, my half hour lunch, actually, it, it just it, it makes it pretty easy for me. Uh, it also forces me to not take too much time in overthinking my artwork because if I know I only have five days and half an hour per day, um, I will just be like, you know what? I'll fix that nose the next time I have to draw his nose, and it'll have to do for now. And I'll admit too, I could be spending some more time when I get home, like once I put the kids to bed. But that's something I really struggle with. Is once I get home, the last thing I want to do is draw more. And I have so much respect for the other artists out there that when they get home, they, you know, they spend the time with the kids and with the wife and they still stay up late and they keep growing. I'm, that's something I still struggle with. Um, fortunately it has not affected the web strip. I, I do only do it once a week. I wish I could do it more and I, I could do it more if, if I did that. So that's, that's a, a current struggle I have right now is just getting that. Cause I, I'm like, you were saying before, I, I see something shiny and I want to move on to that. And I kind of lose my, cause I, I used to work on, on peak syndicate a little more when I got home too. Um, but lately it's just whenever I, I start, but that's when I started on the strip and I had all this, you know, all this excitement behind it and 
I was enthusiastic and, and I tend to, once I've been on a project for a little while, I'm like, Ooh, shiny, there's something else new. And then I'm not excited about what I was working on before. So that, that's something I'm personally working on is like the project I'm working on now. Even if I'm not working, even if I'm not excited about it, I need to learn to somehow rekindle that original excitement I had for it and be like, yeah, you might not feel like it right now. And you could just sit down and play a video game or watch TV but you know what? You're going to feel a lot better if you do that. Do this looking back on it, and so that, yeah, that's 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 a struggle I have. Yeah, Spider-Man and Freeze in full effect. Uh-huh. You ready, Ron? I'm ready. You ready, Dave? I'm ready, Slick. Are you? Oh yeah, take it down. Well. I think you even kind of joke about that in your strip, a uh, strip number 38, which is called forced retirement. Yep. And <laughs> the first panel says, uh, you know, dear Dave and Barry, I believe my job is trying to kill me with overtime. Thus, I will not be able to work on the strip for the foreseeable future. Harold, an issue at your desk, all angry, you know, typing away. And then the second panel is this childish rendition of Dave and Barry. And it says, now what? And it says, under, you know, says, has the name written Barry and an arrow pointing to Bar- uh, Barry and then the word Dave and an arrow pointing to Dave. So, you know, who's who? Then the next week, there's a strip which starts this like golden age series of Geek Syndicate webcomics where because Harold Jennett was unavailable, they've uh, brought in golden age legend Jay Harrison Jr. to come on board to take over their writing and art chores. And it becomes like this Flash Gordon comic it's crazy but i like that though do you know how lucky we were to find that guy barry actually interviewed him they never were able to air the podcast where they interviewed him but they actually met this guy he wasn't that well known but uh, apparently he drew a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of british comics i don't remember if it was 2008 i don't think it was that that book but he had been doing some stuff and he knew i didn't have much time to work on stuff anymore so he put me in contact with him. He knew I wasn't able to get the stuff done. And so this fine gentleman was, was available to do the next few strips. Well, what cracks me up about it is, is that on uh, Strip 42, which is his last strip, if you, you know if you go to geeksyndicatecomic.com, go to Strip 42, the, the last two panels are hilarious. So I'm not, I'm not going to give it away because I don't want to give it all away. Or if you order the Geek Syndicate uh, Collected Edition from uh, DCBService.com, and how much was that again? $3? It is $3. <laughs> we draw the line at th- $2.99. There you go. Sean. Uh, well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you, if you get it, you can read it there, too. And it's, it's just really funny stuff. You also do a podcast. What is that podcast called, and what is the purpose of said podcast? Podcast I do is called Ultra Friends Go with an explanation point. Best podcast name ever. Darn it. And I was serious. We don't have a point to that podcast. We really don't because, well, we just talk, and we talk about comics, movies, poop, food, a lot of food. I mean, I would like to say we talk about current stuff, but I am not reading anything current. I haven't even started Secret Invasion for Marvel, and the last DC thing I read was um, Infinite Crisis. So I'm far behind, and I'm usually far behind on TV. I don't have cable, so everything I watch is whatever's on Netflix instant streaming. 
Okay. And I, and I still don't have that much time to, to watch or read stuff. So if you're going to, we're kind of like a retro podcast. If you listen, you're not going to hear anything current except for, I think walking dead was maybe the most current thing. And maybe once in a while, I talk about Tron and how horrible it was. Stop New it. One. Stop it. Stop. What? That, that is not acceptable. That That is not acceptable. It's not my fault. You have bad taste. It wasn't very, <laughs> it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't care for it. it did you kinda, Did you watch the very first Tron? I did. I didn't watch it right before I went to see this one. Maybe that was my problem because I didn't quite understand why stuff was happening or what the importance was. Like those spoilers, everyone. But those those what were those things called? The, the new programs that the girl was. I was like, so, I don't quite. What are they? Why are they important? I didn't remember no, what they were important because how can I how can I say this without getting tongue tied? It was like a new technology that just emerged on its own. It, you know, but he, he kept saying how they're going to change the world, change religion, change everything. But he never quite said how or why. Like it was all very vague. Right. Like you're just supposed to like jump right on board with them. Yeah, that yeah, it is going to. I don't know. I I just I had trouble buying into to some of that stuff because I just didn't. They didn't make me care. Like right. I kind of liked the main character towards the beginning, but and I kind of liked Jeff Bridges' character. He was like kind of like this cool old, old guru type of kind of new ageish guy, but. There's just a point where I was like, I don't know enough about this stuff to care. I didn't need it explained to me in very scientific terms, but there's just something about it where I just, I don't know. I just, I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. I looked at it like this when he, you know, when he said that they were going to change the world and they were going to, you know, these, these new beings were going to change the world, change this and change that. When they were destroyed, they were destroyed in the midst of basically having their own civilization and becoming their own group of people that prospect for changing the world and changing the internet or changing technology as a whole got destroyed because you never you were never able to see see what they're truly capable of doing that's the way i that's the way i looked at it yeah yeah it's kind of out of the blue just to say they're going to change this and change that because they didn't tell you they didn't specifically tell you but i looked at it from a perspective of clue figured well if, if these people are going to you know they might become a force so i got to get rid of them and if that means I have to, like, you know, do genocide and kill all these people, screw it, or beings or collective energy, screw it, I'm going to do it before they can become powerful and change things and keep, and, you know, and actually make the grid a nice place to live. So that's how I looked at it. To me, the film is a mainstream art movie. And I think, and I really dug that because sometimes I'm not down, sometimes I have to be in a certain mood for an art movie. But this film is a very is a very artistic, mainstream art film, and the musical score I thought was beautiful. Score was great. Uh, score, yeah, score score was great. And you know when you got action, cool. But see, I like the dialogue. I like the calm parts and the, the calm parts of the movie. I really did. The, the dialogue wasn't horrible. It, it really wasn't actually. I and that's what's funny. Usually, movies live or die by their dialogue in in my eyes. And. I didn't think the dialogue was that bad. I really didn't. It just, I normally I could care less about the, I could kind of care less about the plot as long as the dialogue's strong enough. And for some reason, the dialogue was fine. The plot was a little shaky for me, and it, it bothered me this time. Maybe I was just tired. Maybe I didn't have you with me. You have to come to all the movies I see now. That's fair. Right? <laughs> we can work it out somehow. We can. We, we got to see Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen together, and then I'll like. Stop that it! Movie. Stop it! We're not going to go there. We're trying. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we're not going to go there. <laughs> They're making another one. Now I will admit, I saw the trailer, and when Prime so? came, when Prime came down from the, with that jetpack, it started like slicing, dicing. I didn't. Shooting. I didn't see that trailer. Oh. I only saw. I only saw the moon one. 
Now, you haven't mentioned your co-host. Lantern. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> My co-host is the brilliant, beautiful, multi-talented Dean Stahl, who can do any, any impression you ask him to do. Yeah, both of you guys uh, go on those uh, impression rants sometimes. Like the the episode where I showed up on Ultra Friends Go, and uh, you guys, Stahl was Stallone and you were Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was fun. <laughs> that was utterly insane. Unfortunately, Schwarzenegger's about the only good impression I do. That and Grover from Sesame Street. But that's what you got Dean for. Dean can do the rest, see? You, I know, you, but I'm you, jealous. I, I know, but it just it takes practice. I was practicing Samuel Jackson in the car on the way in. <laughs> it didn't go well. No, that takes work. <laughs> yeah, somebody, the wrong person could have been driving by hearing me doing that and like thinking I was being a very bad person. Yes, that would be bad. And we can't have that, sir. We, no. we, we would like for you to stay around and not get killed. Friend of all races and creeds. Yes, you are. Yes, you are now. But Dean, yeah, Dean, Dean is a great co-host, and I was very happy that uh, originally he was actually going to be Big Jim. Really? In fact, he was the yeah when at Super Show last year he he asked me at uh, Third and Spruce. So when are you going to do a podcast? I'm like, oh, I, I've been thinking about it. You want to be my co-host? He's like, okay. Unfortunately, after that, I think poor 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 Jim realized I am too busy to even think about doing this. So, which was fine. Uh, Fine, stupid big Jim. No, uh, I should still try to have him on the show sometime. But uh, fortunately, I was practicing Skype with Dean, and I was like, hey, we did a pretty good job with that. You want to be my co-host? He's like, sure. So the rest is history. Before we close out this interview, can you remind people where they can purchase a Geek Syndicate a Volume 1 or a Geek, Geek Syndicate? Is it Volume 1 or Season 1? It's uh, Geek Syndicate. It's neither one, Sean, Okay. Like, I'm impressed that you read all the strips and that you're a fan, and, 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 and that's actually very flattering. But can you please get the name of the book right? It's not that hard. You, Awkward see, Silence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually got to him that time. I was like, I know this fool did not get out on me. I will go through, I will go through the internet like Ghost Dad and choke you. We hurt the ones we love. I almost bought you Leonard Part 6 for Christmas. I almost bought you Leonard Part 6 for Christmas. It would have been great if we bought that free <laughs> Where you can find it, it is it is actually uh, Geek Syndicate, the comic year one. First, you can get it at IndiePlanet.com, and you can also get it at DCBService.com. You can just go in there and do a search for Geek Syndicate. The longer way is to go into pre-order other comics, then look up uh, Creative Compassion Studios, which is the studio I'm calling it for now that's, uh, that's making this comic and hopefully future projects. So that's how you can find it. It's, uh, it's $3, and... Only thing is, it'll tell you when you go to order it on DCB service that it's shipping the, what's the eighth month of the year? I did this on Comic Geek Speak as well. I'm horrible, horrible with my months. Yeah, if you give me a number, August. I don't know what month it is. August, thank you. It's going to say it's shipping in August. I believe it's shipping in May. Okay. So please don't be dissuaded by that. It, it is shipping a month later than most of the books that are soliciting in February. That's because... Um, I just want to make sure I don't promise it earlier than I can get it out to people. And I think the way that – I love Kablam, wonderful printer. But um, I think that um, the way that they ship, I I'll, I might just miss it if I promise it a month earlier. So you'll be getting it in May if you order it. That's how you can get it. You can also get it if you're going to Super Show. I, have, I will have a few extra copies there. I might be ordering a few, a few more. If you're interested in a copy, uh, you can email me at 
Harold at GeekSyndicateComic.com. Let me know, and I'll see if I can order a few more for Super Show if you're going and would like to pick up a copy. Very I'm also doing sketches, and that also goes towards Heifer.org. So if you're going to Super Show and you get a sketch, that'll go towards the same organization. Excellent. Harold, thank you so much for swinging by uh, the Black Box, and I uh, hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It is always fun talking to you. Cool. Take care, brother. You too. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. Should I wait till you introduce me to talk? Yes. You're one of those podcasts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's how we do. You, you listen to this show. You know how it I never understood. I'm like, you know, this is some kind of like, I'll put you in your place. Like, it's just some kind of like passive aggressive thing. Like, okay, you're a guest. No, you it, can't talk. It yet. has nothing to do like that. That's just the format. It's a, it's a domination thing. It's not a domination thing. It's not. See, you're on my show, all right. You're on my show. I let you talk as much as you want, as soon as you want. We don't pretend no one's there. You don't want me to pretend to go call and call into. Should we do that? You know. What? Sorry, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. We need to go. You need to go so you can edit. That's cool. All right, here we go. Oh, you People are. have me on the show and I insult them. You are a fool. Us. Half hour wasted tomorrow. Oh, because... sweet lord. Um, all right. I'm on the line with uh, a man of many talents. Uh, Can I talk now? No, you can't talk yet. <laughs> <laughs> Start over. I had to do it. I'll stop. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Well, we can talk to each other. It's okay. Uh, I don't want to talk to you. Hi, how are you doing? I'm okay. You know, he's probably recording this part too, you know. Oh, yeah, he is. He's going to have a blast editing this. <laughs> um, have you have you put a dent into that bottle yet? Shut up! I had like I'm on my second glass, and it's half full. So, ugh. Is it the- Why do I sound like a slobbering idiot? <laughs> no, I've had two beers. I'm fine. <laughs> I know you like. I saw you running across, and I was like, shit! I have to keep talking. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. I know. So I'm distracted by like trying to keep the conversation going. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying. Blah, 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 blah. Watching you as you run back. And I'm like, damn it. Well, that was that was really nice of you because I was so sort of, sort of hoping you would, you would do that. <laughs> I was sort of, I was like, stall. I want my beer. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so like, thanks, thank sweetie. You. You're welcome. I got your back. And then you left the door open. I was like, shit. (laughs) Oh, sorry. No, no, it's just okay. To alternate uh, dimensions, Doctor Who riffs, uh, Smallville jokes, you name it. It's got a little bit of everything. And damn it, I was holding on to the microphone and I can hear the. Fuck.
All right, cool. <laughs> Let's do this one more time. That was so good. You're doing so well. Oh, yeah, I know. That's all right. It's, it's all right, dude. You don't understand. Like, I, okay, good. I, I feel like I'm like, I'm so nervous and I'm like rambling and I'm like, ah, oh, no, am no, I no. speaking well? <laughs> No, 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 no. Both of you have done a great job. And I, and I, I, I seriously hope that you've also had a good time being on the show, too. So. Yeah, I want to do I want to do a skit on all friends go of Samuel L. Jackson and Grover. And Samuel L. Jackson is a, is a, uh, a guest on Sesame Street. You know, they need, to, they, they need to get Sam on Sesame Street in real life. Today's words brought to you by motherfucking B. Oh, my daughter's home. See? Hi, honey. I just taught her a new word. <laughs> I really hope she didn't hear that. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to give it away. Sorry. You don't give away what you can sell. Hey, edit that part out. <laughs> it's, all right. it's all right. Edit that out. Okay. I'm making your editing job horrible. Uh, it's all right. I, I, dude, I've edited worse. Not only are you an artist and a family man, and you know you want to stab people at work, but are you also... <laughs> don't get me started on that. <laughs> Don't get me started. Okay. They just moved us to a new department at work. Oh, boy. And I am not in a very quiet area. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah. Very, very sorry. Well, you know what? Well, let's bring it back to the happy. <laughs>